This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan here with you. A very busy sports time, uh, Matt. We are recording this the night after the Minnesota Timberwolves defeated, not just defeated, trounced the Oklahoma City Thunder. And they are in the playoffs now as the eighth seed to face the Denver Nuggets in uh, normally a 1-8 matchup. The eight is kind of a sacrificial lamb. Not so much, I don't think, here. It's not your typical 1-8 matchup. We'll get into that. Uh, we will also get in to uh, a little bit of the Minnesota Wild, although neither of us are elite hockey minds, admittedly. So we'll need to bring on somebody to talk about the Wild if they go deep into the playoffs. We'll also get into the Minnesota Vikings draft just a couple weeks away and finish up with some Minnesota Twins talk. They are red hot to open the season. It's been a great start for the Twins. Matt, uh, almost too much to keep track of, but that's what happens when you live in a state with all four major teams and all four are doing well. All four doing well, uh, but I'll be the the not-so-fast guy here and say uh, <laughs> not feeling too hot about uh, you know, the, their, the team's chances, um, you know, I guess, starting with the wolves, I think that, you know, it's going to be, this is really a opportunity and a prove it series for, to, to show, uh, heading into next year that the moves and the sacrifices they made this off season, recognizing, you know, you had cats injury, and the team didn't necessarily get to, you know, gel and play together for a long time. And, you know, everyone uh, pretty much knew that D'Angelo Russell was going to be on his way out and, and traded probably. But th- they've got to show something in this series to show that this team, uh, with the new ownership coming in, with the big moves that were made, uh, th- this organization is not stuck in neutral. Uh, so what I'm looking for them to see, let's see if they can exceed that expectation of being the sacrificial lamb, let's see the passing of the torch on to Anthony Edwards. We we flirted with it here for a while. Let's see if cat will stop complaining uh, and, and really show up as a leader of this team. Let's see if, if, if Gobert, you know, and cat together can work um, where a lot of people have questioned it a long time. We've not, we haven't had a large enough sample size, um, you know, and obviously it's caused some, some fire and concerns as of late, but put me very much in the camp of, um, while I haven't watched a ton this year, that I am not optimistic about their chances uh, and that this experiment is working. Uh, tell me I'm wrong. I, I know you as the eternal uh, optimist. Well, yeah, I've, I've watched – a lot more wolves. I was at the game uh, last night against Oklahoma City. Uh, I think the atmosphere was a little nervous at the beginning, but uh, the crowd just uh, was fantastic throughout and uh, a, a big sigh of relief that they got into the playoffs. It was not supposed to be this hard to get in. I mean, they were expecting after the Gobert trade, um, probably a top four seed in the Western Conference, but when you consider how tight it was, they were only a few games away from doing just that. And that's with Carl Anthony Towns missing over 50 games. I mean, he missed the vast majority of the season. So we, when they did play together, it didn't look great. 
for the most part, but we really didn't get to see it. And now the, the, the annoying thing is that Jaden McDaniels, their best defender and one of the elite already, one of the elite perimeter defenders in basketball and an emerging star who shot almost 40% from three-point range this year as well, he's out uh, for likely the entire playoffs unless they go really deep. Uh, and then Nas Reed as well, who's got a great handle for a guy his size, just a perfect guy to come in off the bench, provide that energy on both ends. He's out. So, you know, you don't really get to see what this team is capable of. And then another worry is Ant is clearly hurt. He was better in the Oklahoma City game than he was against the Lakers. Something was clearly off in that game. In that game, they should have won. Uh, they played great for three quarters. And, and also Gobert. Rudy Gobert is dealing with back issues. Now, played great against Oklahoma City, really came on late in that game, had uh, a double-double over 20 and 10. But Carl uh, Anthony Towns right now is playing elite basketball. Um, kind of got, got in foul trouble at the end of that Lakers game and, and fell apart in the fourth quarter. But through three quarters, he was the best player on the floor, LeBron James and Anthony Davis included. Uh, so Towns, it's, it's really going to be on him to have a fantastic postseason here if the Wolves have any hope of advancing. And we'll see how Ant and Gobert's injuries, if they're, if they're close to 100%, I think they have got a good chance against Denver. Uh, Denver was 7-10, and 10, I think it was, over their last 17 games. They have one of the worst records for a one seed in recent history. Um, I think it's probably a better matchup than Memphis would have been, although Memphis doesn't have Brandon Clark, who killed the Wolves last postseason. And they don't have Stephen Adams either, although Cat kind of played him off the floor, dominated him in that Memphis series last year. So, I mean, long story longer, to be a successful season, you have to think that they would win this series. Um, and, and they're a heavy underdog, but I think they can compete with Denver, assuming Ant and Gobert are close to 100%, because Nikola uh, Jokic, who's you know in the running for a third straight MVP, probably won't win it. Could be Giannis Antetokounmpo, but Jokic is phenomenal, and most teams have to double him. The Wolves don't, and and Denver's got great three point shooting. Jamal Murray, who should have been a pick of the Wolves, they drafted Chris Dunn instead. That's still a sore spot, um, but Jamal Murray has come back from his ACL tear and been great. Uh, they have Aaron Gordon, who's been great. Um, Michael Porter Jr., Contavious Caldwell-Pope, but not a ton of playoff experience outside of Jokic. So, but the thing is, they don't have to double Jokic. You can have Gobert guard Jokic or Towns if necessary, and they have this, the Wolves have the size to not have to double, and he's such a good passer. I mean, he's one of the elite big men passers of all time, but since the Wolves don't have to double, it's going to be a little harder for him to find guys spotting up from the three-point line. So from that perspective, they could be all right. And Denver's not great defensively either. So I think it will be a good series. Um, and, and they could steal game one because the Wolves now have played two games. They're kind of in the rhythm, unless they're too fatigued, having to go out with one day rest out to the elevation in Denver. But Denver hasn't played for a week. And we saw the Wolves last year steal game one in Memphis. 
that game one is usually the one you could steal. So if they can win one of the first two, come back home to Rockets Target Center, I do think they could give Denver a run for their money. And that that's what they need to do in order to have a successful season, no doubt about it. I agree with everything you said. Um, I think the McDaniels injury hurts a lot. Nas Reed has been a bright spot for them all season, um, you know, and, and does that uh, lack of depth show, um, you know, throughout the series. I oh, I should, I should mention, sorry to cut you off, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. They decided to start him in that OKC game. Chris Finch said it was Tim Conway's idea. Wow. I mean, that made a huge difference. He shut down his cousin, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, to like a 5-for-19 performance. So that was huge. Also, Tim Conley, justifiably, took a lot of grief, has taken a lot of grief for the Rudy Gobert trade. It hasn't worked out thus far, and they gave up a lot. But the trade for Mike Conley saved this team. I mean, what he's – the improvement of Connolly over D'Angelo Russell and, and Nikhil Alexander-Walker was a part of that trade as well. Mike Conley against the Lakers was phenomenal. Against OKC was phenomenal. He's got playoff experience. He could be a huge, huge help in this Denver series. You stole my point. I was going to say, yeah. I, the me is the leadership and experience of Mike Conley. Um, yes, he's older. Yes, he's not the same player he once was. Uh, but I trust him a lot more than D'Angelo Russell in the playoffs. He the the, the distribution capability, the ability to stuck you know step up and make a clutch shot, uh, just the overall you know ability to calm this team. You know the, this team has a lot of personalities, a lot of potential you know energy and talent that could fire in all cylinders, but it can also just completely go off the rails. And Cat doesn't have the personality we've seen over and over again to kind of, you know, bring this team together and calm them when they need to. D'Angelo Russell didn't have that. Gobert clearly doesn't have that. Ants not has not shown so far. You know, he's has the ability to do that, or he's too young and inexperienced to do that. But Mike Conley, and I'm hopeful. You know, it was interesting to see KG's take on you know the Gobert incident. Yeah. Um, where, as it can be a motivating factor to you know in showing that fire in the belly um and and you saw that in in the okc game um but Connolly's the guy that could level that out to make sure okay hey we've got the fire in the belly we can go and we can take it to these guys we can compete with them uh but keep it in check when it's going off the rails and i think that that is a big x factor in leadership for a team that has been very streaky, for a team that plays up to its competition and a team that all season played down to its competition and inexplicably would lose to teams it had no business losing to or getting up in games and in the fourth quarter, yes, there were clear incidents of refs not you know, calling games the way that we'd want and, and, and head-scratching plays, but that didn't seem how to close games the way they needed to or, or figure out how to not let that get to them and overcome that. And Mike Conley is going to have to be the guy that in this series, um, you know, levels, levels the team out, polishes those rough edges um, and keeps them, you know, firing up to their potential. Um, you know, and I think that that's a, a huge difference that could keep them in this series. Speaking of Kevin Garnett, Wolves, make the playoffs for back-to-back -back seasons for the first time since Kevin Garnett 
was a Minnesota Timberwolf uh, back in the Western Conference Finals year um, in 04. So uh, last thing on the Wolves, I mean, another great move by Tim Conley. You, you know, again, the Gobert trade kind of overshadows everything, but that Kyle Anderson move, my God. I mean, Kyle Anderson, where would this team be without him? They signed him to a two-year deal, reasonably priced. He has been a Swiss Army knife. Uh, he's been good from three. His defense has been has been fantastic. And and Anderson and Torian Prince also without McDaniel's. In addition to Nikhil Alexander Walker, you've got to get something from Anderson and Prince defensively and from three. And they have in both of the play-in games. Anderson and Prince have been very good shooting and defending. So, I mean, both of those guys are, are fantastic perimeter defenders. And Kyle Anderson, because Jordan McLaughlin's really struggling right now, my boy from USC just has not found his footing since coming back from a calf injury, similar to Carl Anthony Towns's. Towns has played great since returning. McLaughlin, not so much. So we'll see how much they can even, Chris Finch even thinks he can use J-Mac in this series, Kyle Anderson may have to be the guy playing backup point guard when Conley's off the floor, and Anderson's shown the ability to do that. Last point, man. Well, and this will actually serve as a great transition. I, I feel like this series is a little bit like the Vikings were heading into off last offseason. They've got they've got to show enough in this series to to send the sign that like there is potential with a full season of people being healthy and another year of Chris Finch and another year of like refining this, that they could get more wins out. Similarly to, you know, we were in the positions, the Vikings showed enough just losing these close games that you should double down what you're doing and just, you'll be able to squeeze more wins and more opportunities to move ahead. Uh, If they don't show this, I think that they're they're in for a rough off season where they're going to have to obviously, you know, let some guys walk and they're going to probably have to do some additional trades and make some big moves. So that's why I think this series is key is this is they really could go either way in terms of kind of blowing this up or doubling down. And this series, you hate to put so much pressure on it, but I, that's how I, I, I feel like they've got to show something. Otherwise, um, you're, you're really going to have to hit that button. You're right, because it was a win-now mode coming into the season. Now you do have to look at it realistically. They're missing you know, two key rotation pieces in, in McDaniels and Reed. But despite that, everyone has injuries right now. Denver, not so much. But Denver, like I said, they've struggled down the stretch. You, you need to at least compete in this series. And, and it'll be very interesting to see what the off-season narrative is, depending on this series. Hopefully, the off-season doesn't come until well after this series and they can advance past the Denver Nuggets. We will move on to the Minnesota Vikings here. A big, big draft coming up for the Vikings here in, uh, in just a couple weeks. It is, it is fast approaching, Matt. And, I mean, there's so many storylines right now. Uh, what... I think the biggest one, though, is so far in this offseason, and, and we've we've talked about Marcus Davenport, Dean Lowry a little bit, um, Byron Murphy. They've made some solid moves, I think, on the defensive side of the ball in free agency. But, I mean, you, you still have to say the dominant storyline is the move that they haven't made, and that's with Kirk Cousins. 
And that kind of overshadows this whole draft. Apparently, according to Ben Gessling and Andrew Kramer of the, of the Star Tribune, Kirk Cousins' uh, representatives approached the Vikings about a possible three-year extension, and they were will- he was willing to take a discount because of the years. And the Vikings said no. The Vikings were interested in maybe two years, but not three. So they, they, were, they were fine with this coming year, 2023 and 24, but not 25. So right now, as it stands, Cousins is entering the final year of his contract. And we have people, a lot of people mocking quarterback to the Vikings, either a trade up for a quarterback or somebody like Hendon Hooker available at 23. And then we have people that say they're going to trade down and not take quarterback. I still think the, the most likely thing is a trade down, but we'll talk about that in a second. Let's first discuss, though, this, this refusal to give Kirk the extension. I've tweeted a lot about this. Uh, it, we've talked a little bit about it with, with Joe Spinoza in our last episode, and apologies for the long gap between episodes. A uh, lot of stuff going on in the world uh, with both of us. But th- this is, to me, baffling that they will not extend Kirk Cousins because of what he's done. Look at what he look at what he did last year. Every time, basically, you needed him, you know, people will harp on the fourth and eight, and we we you know the check down to Hawkinson. But we've talked about that ad nauseum. It's a bad play. There was pressure right in his face. Anyway, played great in that Giants game. Played great all season, and and led them to the most comeback victories in the fourth quarter in the NFL. And has has improved every single year. You don't see a precipitous drop off coming. I don't see it. Um, and, and so I would I would extend him right now to get assurance at the quarterback position, stability moving forward. It gives you it takes the pressure off of having to get a quarterback this year. It lowers the cap hit, and this idea that it hampers you long term, like you're stuck to Cousins. I don't think it does. I think if you identify a young quarterback who you love and you end up with him, you can still trade Kirk probably to the San Francisco 49ers because he will have a no trade clause, but I think he'd waive it to go. He loves Kyle Shanahan. So like, I don't think the Niners have found their quarterback to the point where they wouldn't take Cousins. They have Sam Darnold, Brock Purdy, and Trey Lance right now. Cousins is way better than all of them. Uh, So I mean, I still think you could trade Kirk even if you end up signing him to an extension. So I, I just don't see why you wouldn't do it. It brings down the cap. It gives you stability, gives you flexibility to find your quarterback when you want to, your next one. And and bring, you know, the, the cap it bring, being brought down is a big deal because then there's still free agents on the market this year, also next year. So, and then gives you stability with JJ moving forward too. I mean, there's so many reasons to do it. I don't get why they won't. Help me understand that, please. I think everyone needs to chill out. And Vikings Twitter doesn't like to hear that. That's not how we operate. Quasi, to his credit, operates differently than folks. And what I think he is doing is saying, we're not even halfway through the offseason, folks. And what he is saying is I'm going to go into the draft 
and see what presents itself to me. I'm going to see, is there a quarterback that I love that falls? And and I'm not saying falls to 23, but falls to 15. I, I, let me put it this way. It could be 23, but... Well, here's the thing. They're not taking Hendon Hooker at 23. Let me be very yeah. clear. They are not going to do it because if they do, I lose all faith in them. I don't care if he turns out to be Patrick Mahomes. The analytics would say you do not take a 25-year-old quarterback coming off an ACL surgery, playing in a gimmick offense who has one good year. You do not draft him when you have five draft picks and Kirk Cousins sitting on your roster for only one more year. There is zero evidence in any way, shape, or form that says you take Hendon Hooker at that pick. In fact, you add to the fact that most people don't have him prior to 50 on the draft board, as far as most people can tell. He's not a first-round pick. But what that if is- – I, I totally agree with you. But what if Will Levis falls? Apparently, they uh, now the steam is they're not in love with him. He has a huge arm, but he's not very accurate, and they may not it's, like him personality-wise. Well, but what if he's there? So here's the thing. This is what is problematic about a lot of – media coverage in general but you know sports media is really bad at this we we, they're trying to fill airtime all these people with the exception of a few folks don't know what they're talking about don't have insider information and there's a lot of teams that are playing games they're trying to create smoke oh we don't really love will levis he might fall you know and we don't know he played what we do know is that he had a really good season two years ago he had a down season this past year he plays in the most pro-ready offense He's got a lot of tools that are really appealing to a lot of folks. And he maybe is probably, you know, the most like Kirk Cousins of the quarterbacks. And if he falls, there's evidence to suggest that they take a look. at. But what I don't know is, are they willing to trade up to 15 to get him if he falls? And where if he is on his draft board? I have no clue. You have no clue. None of these people have any clue, maybe exception of Darren Wolfson. And he's probably not, you know, he's probably getting it off the record and not something he's going to go and put out, you know, too much too early because otherwise he loses credibility, you know, by, by reporting everything he hears. So, like, we don't know. What we do know is this. They're unlikely to leverage their future to trade up to number three or number five to get a quarterback. They don't have the draft capital to do it. They, But what they do have, and this is why I think you haven't seen moves on Dalvin. You haven't seen moves on Zadarius. Because what Kwesi, you haven't seen the extension to JJ. You haven't seen the extension to Brian O'Neill. You haven't seen the Kirk extension. I think Kwesi is trying to have as many cards in his hand as possible headed into the draft. He's going to see who's there. He's going to see what ammo he has to move up. And that includes, if I can move up to 15, I might not have the draft capital to do it, but I can offer you a top 10, you know, defensive, you know, you know, defensive end, outside linebacker, whatever you want to call it, Zedarius. I can offer you a, a, a starting caliber, former pro bowler, you know, in, you know, in Dalvin, uh, you know, as a for you to take instead, you know, he, he's keeping those guys on the roster, not because he probably has an intention of keeping them ultimately, but because he wants leverage heading into the draft. And so, yes, he's rolling the dice that if a quarterback doesn't fall to them, that they've got to go back to Kirk and say, let's have the extension. And he doesn't offer them as good of a team friendly deal. But Kirk ultimately probably wants stability. You know, and other than I you know, think the, the deal other- would still, I think the deal would still be there. I I hope you're right. I I hope you're right that if they sure. do it after the draft, no, no, no. I hope you're right. 
here's where I'll start. I am a little antsy about this because <laughs> stability at the quarterback position is, I'll try to take your advice and chill. But if after the draft, they haven't selected a quarterback and they still don't do the extension, then I, I'm I, worried. If I like, I'm worried. That, that, that would be the reason to panic. If it's come June and they haven't extended him, and you know, but here's the thing: the other thing we have to keep in mind is they don't have enough cap space right now to sign the players they draft. I don't. They're they're that'll be fixed when, once Zadarius and, and Dalvin are moved. Once once O'Neill's there, there's ways to do that. Yeah, oh, a hundred percent. But that's my point: is is that's why everyone needs to chill. Is they still have moves coming. Right. Dalvin is very unlikely to be on this roster. Just it, it, not the, after the, the Madison extension. Exactly yeah. the. Yeah. That's not going to be there. Zadarius, they've got to do something about his contract or they got to trade him or they got to cut him. They've got to do something about well, likely or they've got to try and extend JJ. They've got to try and extend TJ. They've got to try and do something with likely with Brian O'Neill. Like, and, and to your point, if they don't get a quarterback in this draft class, you have to do something with Kirk because you're not going to go in, probably have at worst a 500 season go into next year's draft class with no draft capital to then try and trade up and get one of those guys. Yes, the draft class is better next year, in my opinion, when you're looking on paper, you know, even beyond Caleb Williams, you know, when you, you when you, you know, a, a, a May from North Carolina and, you know, some of these other guys that are going to be available, like, but still, they're not likely to fall to where you're, you're at barring how having a collapse of a season. So I think if they don't get a quarterback that they really like and it's not there and they can't make the moves, they're going to go back to Kirk and they're going to at least sign him to a additional one year extension. Now, what's going to happen? He is might not take that. He might not. He but might not what? take a one year extension. He might not. But you know what? All of those Kirk haters are then going to, you know, all cry bloody murder because if he does a one year extension, they're probably going to have to pay him 45 plus million, you know, guaranteed you know, to, in order for him to take it. So like, yeah. this is a, there are lots of things at play. And so everyone needs to chill out. And I think to go to your point of what they're most likely to do, the analytics and the statistics tell us that Quasi doesn't have a lot of draft capital to work with. The one year small sample size of evidence that we have suggests that he values second and third round picks a lot. The most likely scenario is unless there is the surefire person that they want, that he's going to trade back. Look at he had some he had he went safety and traded back with Kyle Hamilton sitting there because he said, I think maybe Lewis Seen was higher on their board, but I think it was just as likely he said they're close enough. Right. And trade back and pick up a second round pick or 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 additional ammo and get more depth here, you know, and get someone who's just as good, you know. And he got a third-round pick, and that turned into a Caleb Evans, who I like a Caleb Evans. He's got long arms. He He's probably going to be a starter this year. So I think what's going to happen is he's going to sit there and he's going to watch, and he's not going to – he's going to wait and see what happens in between 10 and 15. Is a quarterback they love dropping? Is there a surefire defensive player that's dropped, you know, that they like, that's number one, number two, number three on their board that they think is a game changer? 
Or do they think that they're just so so close, but they need that number two wide receiver, and there's someone they absolutely love? If if you know, uh, you know, Jess, Jackson Smith in, in Jigba is there, and they're like, that's our guy, that's who we want. We're willing to leverage the farm to pair him, pair him with JJ. But if those guys are not there and they don't have the ammo to trade up to get to 15, he it's going to drop to get us to 23 and he's going to trade back and he's going to move around and he's going to do his thing to try and accumulate some of the picks he lost and some of the trades he made that made sense to do that. It, this is yeah. we're overcomplicating it. And then he's going to leave the draft and you say, I've got to sign these guys. So I, you know, I need more cap space. I'm going to sign these guys to ex- extensions. Here's who I need to sign. Here's who I, I don't need to, because we acquired these pieces in the draft. You know what? So I, I think the Cousins situation is still to be determined. They don't have to go quarterback. I think there is just as likely a scenario that they're going to pick someone in the third round, in the, you know, in the fifth round, that they're going to look at a, you know, the Stanford quarterback, that they're going to look at. That doesn't you know, do it, though. That, that, you, you, if you're going to take a quarterback, and I'll get into why I don't think they should at all this year uh, in a moment. But if you're going to take a quarterback, it needs to be in the first or second round. I the, 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 no, no, no. The track record of quarterbacks who succeed in the later rounds is very, very – the list is small. I – I, I, I'm with you on that conceptually, and I agree, you know, but my point is, is if you don't have the capital to move up and you don't have the guy where you're at, you don't reach, you don't pull a Christian ponder, but there is a case to be made that you should take a flyer almost every year on someone that's a fourth or fifth or a sixth rounder for depth purposes. There's Are too they- many holes on the Vikings. They, uh, especially defensively, I'm not I, into that. I'm not not this year. I'm not I, into I'm that. Be this year, but my point is, is that would they sign Nick Mullins to as an extension? Is it a one year deal? Is it a two year deal? I can't remember. I don't. I don't even know. They, so the point is, right? You are set up with Kirk having you know playing out his contract and Mullins on a very you know on very short term either one you or can two find another backup quarterback though. but taking a flyer though on someone you know in a fifth round um is is an acceptable you know analytics pick you know would i move around to get more capital so you can still fill those other holes before doing it yes but I, my point is is i think that is way more likely and way you know more defensible more than likely um, then dra- overreaching and drafting someone at 23 that is not worthy of that 23. Right, right. No, and That's I agree. A- I, I agree with you. The most likely scenario is a trade down. They need to get more picks. A. B, if you do trade up and get this rookie, here's why I don't want a quarterback at all this year. If you trade it up or even stayed at 23, if you trade it up, you'd be giving up a ton of draft capital to put around the, that quarterback in the future. But here's why a quarterback this year makes no sense. Because of what they did to Kirk's deal, barring an extension, if they were to take a rookie quarterback this year, they're not going to extend Kirk. It would be essentially they're taking the QB to sit one year under Kirk and then take over next year when Kirk leaves. 
The problem with that is, okay, I get the allure of having a QB on a rookie deal. You, you say, oh, look what Joe Burrow did. Look what Jalen Hurts did. Okay, but you also have to say, look what Zach Wilson did. Look what Baker Mayfield did. Like, there's more busts than there are hits. I'm not saying that should, alone should deter you or put fear into you. It's just the reality. But if you took a rookie QB this year, he'd be year one of the rookie deal, he'd be sitting under Kirk. Year two of the rookie deal, and I credit Joe Spinoza, our, our frequent guest, for pointing this out on Twitter. Year two of the rookie deal, because of what they did to reduce Kirk's cap hit this year, Kirk has a big like $28 million cap hit next year, even if he's if he's gone. So you're the first year this new QB would be starting, you wouldn't get the full benefit of the rookie deal. I don't, I don't. So, buy so, so the first two years of the rookie deal, you wouldn't get that full benefit. And then you need to probably try to sign him during an extension after year three or four. To, to me, quarterback this year just does not make sense with the, with the multitude of holes they need to fill and the lack of draft capital moving up for one would really be risky even staying at 23 or moving down for one like hooker, unless you really, really think he's the guy. I, I just, I am not a fan of that. I'd rather go with the Kirk extension after the draft. I, I, to me, I, you know, who, you know, is always better than, than usually better than, than the risk. I don't, with all due respect to Joe, I don't buy that because you still are in a better position year three, four and five. Or even even Kirk's twenty eight million dollar cap hit plus the rookie hit is less than you would otherwise have as a cap hit for Kirk anyway. Sure. And if the the guy in year two ends up being you know out of this world or better, you're still better off. So I don't necessarily buy that. What what it comes down to is, do you have a guy, and can you get that guy? And are you you know leveraging the farm in order to get the guy in a way that prevents you from competing anyway? And that, I mean, it's, so that's all, all, those are all the factors to consider, but it all starts first and foremost with, do you have a guy and can you get the guy? And what I, and and let's, and, and also let's be careful what you wish for here. And, and we both are on the same wavelength here. I think Kirk cousins is a top 10 quarterback in this league. If not better, it's hard to find a guy that good. Let's not just assume that whoever this guy is is going to play at Kirk Cousins level. Yeah. Because the I, odds are he won't. So be careful what you wish for. Now, if you don't think Kirk has any chance of leading you to the Super Bowl, then fine. Maybe you move on. But I think the evidence shows that he does. He's just as good as Matthew Stafford. He's Jared Goff took a team to a Super Bowl. We can go on and on. I think Kirk is above the threshold necessary to take a team to the Super Bowl. How about improve that 31st ranked defense that you had last year and you still won 13 games? Average defense, this team is a Super Bowl contender this year if that defense with Flores comes up to average. To your point, there's no doubt that Kirk meets the minimum threshold for competing and potentially winning a Super Bowl if he has the right pieces around him. And you need to ask yourself if we can get the right pieces around him with the rest of the team in a timely enough manner in order to win. 
And then the other thing you have to evaluate is, can you do that, win one, and not completely decimate the team for another five years after that like in, the Reds. Order, in order to get back and consistently win? And that this is where KOC and Quasi make their money. And, you know, it, it's if they look at it and they say, listen, we could go all in this year and we got a small chance of winning it. Um, and we but we think that after that we would be completely toast and it would take a while to rebuild this team. And we think we'd lose our jobs because of it. So we'd rather take the step back now and build the, you know, build the foundation that we think builds a dynasty. That's a choice that can be made. And it's a legitimate choice. Um, even if you basically say, we think we could get there. Um, you know, I mean, basically it's not a completely fair comparison because, you know, there's no doubt that Kirk Cousins is better than Alex Smith, but Kansas city made the choice essentially. Yes. We probably could get there with Alex Smith. He could probably win us a super bowl. And again, Kirk is better than Alex Smith, but we think that in order to build the dynasty, we need to take this potentially step back because we have a guy. But my or they thought, is, or they thought Alex Smith has taken us as far as he can. Yeah. And, yeah. and and he can't do it and we need to move on. But but to me, what I come down to is I'm gonna trust in the process that Quasi and KOC are setting. I like Kirk. You know I defend Kirk. I think Kirk can get us there. And I think they could get creative and get the pieces to probably get us there with the with then the right draft picks, but you got to hit on the draft. And we didn't hit on the draft enough with Spielman, and we didn't fill holes enough, you know, in order to do it. But if there's a guy they like that they really like, KOC knows way more about the quarterback position than anyone on Vikings Twitter. So everyone on Vikings Twitter, like, let, let's just be very clear about that. That includes us. I, I watch a lot of college football. I don't know. I can't scratch the surface of what KOC knows about playing the quarterback position. The guy has played quarterback in the NFL. He's coached Kirk Cousins multiple times. So if there's a guy that he really likes and he says, hey, I think I can get him there even if it takes two seasons and that he could exceed and that, you know, we, we could get into a better place being with that rookie deer in the, in the long term, then you know what? I'm going to trust KOC. But yeah. if the there or you can't get him, then it is a mistake not to extend Kirk Cousins. That were you and I are in complete there because you're going to take too many steps back and you're probably not going to be in a position draft capital wise, you know, to, you know, to get the guy next year that you want. Well, and this may be just uh, unwarranted fear, but like if you're Justin Jefferson pondering signing this huge extension, do you not want to know like who your quarterback is at least for the next few years? Because the Jefferson extension hasn't come now, like you said, be patient. It probably will. And it's hard for a guy to turn down the amount of money that he's going to be offered or already has been offered. But just riddle me this. If Jefferson sees, okay, no quarterbacks drafted or a quarterback is drafted. And no extension comes for Kirk. If he sees the writing on the wall, like this is going to be Kirk's last year. I think there is an outside scenario that he says, you know what? I'm not signing the extension this off season. I'll play out this year with Kirk and have another 
phenomenal year, as he likely will, he'll have more money than on the table next year, if that's even possible, because he's already the top wide receiver in the league. But so he'll play out this year. And then, you know, if they draft a quarterback, he'll play out the fifth year option because they're going to pick up the fifth year option. He may just say, you know what? I'll play out this fifth year option next year. See how this young quarterback is. But if he doesn't have it, then I don't want to be stuck here with him long term. So like he could say, you know, let's just say hypothetically, Will Levis falls and they take him. I don't think they're they're on to Levis, but let's just name du jour. I'm just throwing out a name. And he knows, okay, he's going to sit behind Kirk this year. Clearly, they haven't signed Kirk. They're going to let Kirk go. They're going to hand the keys to Levis or, or quarterback du jour. And Jefferson just says, okay, I'll play out the fifth-year option with him. I'll play out the fourth year. This year, no extension. Fifth year, no extension. I think it's unlikely that he wouldn't take a bunch of money handed to him. But I also think there's a side that says, like, this guy wants to win. Yeah, he wants his money, but he he does want to win, I think, more than most. He's used to winning at, in high school and at LSU. And I just I just think there's a side that may say, you know what? If I don't have some stability or knowledge about what who's going to be my quarterback moving forward, I may wait to sign the extension. And then, hey, if he plays one year with Will Levis or whoever they draft this year, if they do draft somebody, or if they draft somebody next year, like if, if he figures out, hey, this guy's a stud, okay, then I'll sign the extension. But what do you think about that? I, I think the chances of him not signing the extension are still small. Uh, I agree with you that when you're used to winning and being around someone like Atkinson, who probably can tell these guys, like, I got to tell you what a difference it makes being at an organization, doing your job every day and having a chance to win. They're all competitors. They wanted, but obviously, you know, Jefferson's won a national championship. He's used to winning. There's, there is all of that. He wants that. He wants to go and, and probably, you know, try and be the best receiver of all time. You know, that's how he's wired. That's how he keeps getting better. So those are factors for him. But you also have to sit there and say, what are my chances of getting injured where I could get fully guaranteed $150 million generational changing contract? You probably take the $150 million contract and say, listen, I want a no trade clause. I get to veto where I, you know, where I go or that's where if you're not like in the situation, you can also say, maybe I'll take a little bit less, but I want a player opt out, you know, you know, or he could, or he could, if he doesn't like the quarterback situation, eventually demand a trade. But yeah, that's, that's a there, worry too. If you don't have or, quarterback figured out and he demands a or, trade, or, or, that's or a problem take, too. Or you take out a page of Kirk's book, which is, you know, many people shit on Kirk for his contract situation. And I just, I want to defend the guy for a second. No, number one, it's not his fault. He was drafted by a dysfunctional organization in the Washington football team commanders, what, you know, uh, with the worst owner in the history of sports in Dan Snyder, who <laughs> charge, you know, he had all these issues who didn't want to pay him. And then he got the franchise tag that paid him ungodly amounts of money when he said, I want an extension. I want an extension. I want an extension. And then he bet himself. I think Kirk is a genius for basically realizing if I believe in my durability, 
signing shorter term fully guaranteed deals gets me more money gives me more leverage i gotta believe in myself i gotta stay healthy but if i do that that's smart and i think there are going to be more players and you're starting to see this with even some of the free agents who do that so what's to say jj in that situation says you know what i'm going to sign a three-year deal fully guaranteed at a high annual you know value but that's my way of betting on myself while also saying I'm not fully sort of sold on this quarterback situation. And you know what? The Vikings will do that because they'd rather lock him up. And then if he stays right. healthy producing, he signs another massive deal when the when the league average for this position has gone up even further. And he can also you know see what the QB situation is. So Kirk has kind of set the path for some of these guys if they want to do it. You know, the risk of it is you know, and it's easier to do that at a quarterback wide receiver position versus, say, a running back position. If yeah. you're the long term, as much guaranteed, you know, money as you can, just the wear and tear on your body is yeah. tough. Yeah. But those are, that's another option. And I think that's more realistic than him saying, I'm just going to play out the fifth year, you know, the fifth year player option. Yeah. Um, we just have a little bit of time remaining. We'll get into the Twins here in a second. Last point I want to make, though, I do think the Vikings have to address wide receiver two. Absolutely. Early, early in the draft, potentially even first round, they have to get a speedy guy, maybe a big guy, but really a guy who can, who can blow the top off the defense next to J.J. Because – KJ Osborne to me is fine as a number three wide receiver. Now TJ Hawkinson may be the number two wide receiver, but you still, I think, need another guy on the outside who can who can threaten, uh, who can stretch the field deep. You with me there? My my hot take is there's one player for the Vikings that I'd be willing to trade up for. I should say there's more than one. I mean, if Will Anderson inexplicably fell out of the top yeah. ten. Yeah. Straight up. There's right. no doubt. Right. I, you know, if there's a quarterback you love, maybe you do it. But to me, even even if and I don't know the nuances of the position enough and type of player, but like if Jackson Smith and Jigba is is really has started to fall and you're at the 13, 14, 15th position, you trade up and you get him. That is fine with me because you pair him, someone who's been learning from the best of the best in college football. You know, with with their wide receiver coach, um, why am I drawing a blank on his name? He's the best wide receiver position coach in college football, Brian Hartline. Like, and given the recent track record, you know, yeah. from Ohio State receivers playing with other great wide receivers, you know, in great quarterbacks, you say, oh, maybe they're a product of the system. No, look at look at the guys that are coming out and yeah. what they look at the year Olave had as a rookie with poor quarterback play, and now he's going to be with Derek Carr. Olave. Garrett Wilson, like yep. the, the, you know, now what you see with Marvin Harrison Jr. coming up, like these guys, they get the best receivers. To me, if that guy is there, you trade up and you get him and you're, it doesn't matter who you, I, I, I don't know. Him. I don't know about trade. It depends because of their lack of draft capital, but I agree. I like Smith and Jigba. I also like another school that's produced a lot of good wide receivers. Yes, I'm biased, but it is the USC Trojans and Jordan Addison had a fantastic year with Caleb Williams. I think he would look very good on the opposite side of JJ as well. But I do, I think I do prefer Smith and Jigba, but 
more of a chance that Addison is there. So and also Zay Flowers. I know Joe Spinoza loves Zay Flowers from Boston College. There's some good options there at wide receiver. Or, you know, you could wait on it a little bit as well. I think you can wait on corner because it's a deep corner draft. I also want to see some beef up front. Pass rush, three technique. We need more of that kind of like in the mold of, of D, like, like Dean Lowry is going to provide, but younger and even more athletic. So we'll get into more of that, you know, uh, maybe next week before the draft, if we record another episode, but want to close here with the Minnesota twins who are off to, as we record this on, uh, on Saturday, April 15th, they, after two wins over the New York Yankees are off to a 10 and four start in the Bronx, by the way, two wins. First game, they score nine runs in the first inning, two more in the second, get out to an 11-0 lead. Joe Ryan cruises, and they dominate. Then, in game two, they fall behind 3-1, to one, and Carlos Correa homers and drives in two, or, or drives in three on the, on the day, including a go-ahead two-run double late, and the Twins win that game 4-3. to three. So they took the first, first two over the Yankees and the Bronx. They're 10-4, and four, and the story early on, Matt, is the pitching staff. Both the starters and the bullpen. Pablo Lopez, when Luis Arise has hit for the cycle for the Marlins, he's off. He was hitting 500 through the first couple of weeks. Um, but it looks like so far, in a very small sample size, a win win trade. Pablo Lopez has been exactly what the Twins fans could have hoped for and more. He's looked like an ace so far. But also, you know, you look, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Malley's been hit or miss. Maeda's looks pretty solid. Uh, Louis Varland came up and started for Maeda because uh, Kento was taking some time off, uh, coming back from Tommy John, a little fatigue between starts. But they, they have some depth in that starting rotation. You feel good each and every day, no matter who you're handing the ball to. Just, we haven't been able to say that in a long time. And the bullpen, despite Duran giving up a couple of solo homers, he's, he looks unbelievable. His stuff, 103 with, you know, 99-mile-an-hour uh, splitters. And that and that hammer curveball. I mean, the, the bullpen, and you have Jacks, you have Lopez, um, you have Alcala back. I mean, the bullpen's deep too. You really don't feel bad, no matter who is on the mound pitching right now for this team, whether it's a starter or a reliever. And starters are going deeper into games, even though it's only April. Um, lineup's still missing some pieces, but you, you have to feel good about this pitching staff so far. Yeah, you, I mean, you do. Um, it's been a pleasant surprise. This feels much more like a, almost like a the Cleveland Indians style uh, team with the, with the exception of a few games where it's great starters, great shutdown bullpen, winning 3-2, winning 4-1. Um, is that sustainable? Um I don't know. I mean, I feel better about this group than we have obviously recently, but we've also been burned in, you know, a lot in the past where the twins go and they get a reclamation project. I'm not saying any of these guys, you know, that Pablo Lopez is a reclamation project, obviously, but like that, that these guys are good for three or four starts and then the league catches up to them. Um, yeah, so, but the good thing is they don't have Jay Happ or Matt Shoemaker or Dylan Bundy or Chris Archer this year. They've moved on from those. I, 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 on, on paper, the, this group is much better. 
Um, you know, if Maeda can be healthy, obviously he was a he was the runner up of the Cy Young. You know, Pablo Lopez, who had been viewed more from a lot of people as a strong number three, is pitching like a number one, which we which we love to see. But does that continue, or does he come back to being closer to a you know high three, low two type of guy? You know, is is um, you know is Joe Ryan going to be able to keep it up? He started out really hot last year. Um, and you know, then started to cool off, had some injury, you know, like, so I, I, you know, does the Maeda stuff keep up or is, you know, does the Tommy John, is he forever going to be, you know, change the, the Molly? I, I don't know what to make of that, of him as a trade piece, um, that they got last year. He's always seen more of it. It's always, it's still on paper to me, feels a lot like twos and threes, that will come back down to earth as two and threes. I think the bullpen gives you a lot more hope. They're pitching much better than last year. And to your point, if starters can continue to go deeper, you know, and Sonny Gray and, and the marker he threw out there and his, you know, he's just, you know, seems yep. like a real for this club. If he keeps pushing that where, and that these guys go deeper, then we're hopefully not going to see the bullpen fatigue that we saw clearly second half of last year but um i'm still concerned about the offense um i'm still concerned about you know there's some good pieces that maybe could you know exceed expectations um you know does the speed of the team what they've done with the with some of the rules with the pitch clock and the banning of shifts and all that does that play to some of their strengths maybe a little bit more um but I'm I'm still obviously concerned about the injuries, and I'm I I I still. This lineup doesn't scare me, in any way. You gotta wait. I think I think you gotta wait. I agree with what you're saying. You gotta wait till and right now they're rehabbing in Fort Myers, Jorge Polanco and Alex Kirilov. I think it make a big difference. You don't want to be playing Nick Gordon every day. You don't want to be playing Kyle Farmer. Hopefully he gets better. Horrible getting hit in the, in the face. Uh, hopefully he, he recovers on the IL currently, but you don't want to be playing those guys every day, ideally. So if Kirilov and, and Polanco can come back, that's big. Last thing is, uh, he just made his major league debut, Edward Julian, got his first major league hit and home run in that same inning, leading off in the Bronx against the Yankees the other night in the nine-run inning. Uh, Edward Julian, he could be the replacement for Luisa Rise eventually, led minor league baseball in on-base percentage the past two years, and has a little pop, plays some second base. 18th round pick out of Auburn a few years ago. Looks like a big hit. Last thing. I'll just say, if this team is going to do anything, these young hitters that they've been talking about for years and years, yep. someone step up. Because, yep. you know, Mar- Trevor Larnick and, and Trevor Larnick has Miranda did last year, but Kirloff, yeah, needs to come back healthy. I'm, to your point, I'm tired of hearing about how Alex Kirloff's going to have a breakout year. Larnick's going to have a breakout year. Miranda, it turned out, it came to fruition last year. This was looking good, obviously, until the injuries. But we've been hearing about so many guys for so long, and they haven't done it. And, and, and that's going to be the difference about whether this team actually not only can win the division, but actually do something in the playoffs or not. And the main thing is, it's been injuries. And, and you know, Buxton hasn't played center field yet. I think that's going to help the lineup as well. Because although Michael Taylor's hit a few homers here the last week and hit two in the same game in that, in that uh, outburst at Yankee Stadium, he's not a guy you want to have to play every day either because his bat just isn't there. He's a gold glove center fielder. Uh, 
uh, not quite, he's not platinum glove like Buxton, but he's, he's very serviceable out, more than serviceable out there um, when Buxton's hurt, but Buxton's been DHing so far. When, when he plays center field, that helps the lineup as well, because you can move that DH to a better hitter than Michael A. Taylor. So that, that's going to help too. Um, but, but, you know, Edward Julian, some, some very, you know, promising signs uh, early his first week of his first few days of his big league career. But, you know, they've got some of their top prospects are in the upper levels of the minor leagues. But to your point, yeah, if Royce Lewis can come back midseason and give him something, if Kirilov can come back and prove that risk is healthy, Larnick's been off to a great start this season. If those, if those young hitters combined with the Buxtons and the Correas stay healthy, that, that, was the biggest, that was the biggest thing last year. But I think because of that pitching that we discussed, they've got to stay healthy too. Now, keep in mind, because and pitchers normally get hurt more than hitters, but you've got guys, my eight off, Tommy John, Sonny Gray's had injury issues. Pablo Lopez has had shoulder issues in the past. Joe Ryan was mostly healthy last year, but he even missed some time. Molly, we know his injury history, barely pitched after coming over to the Twins from the Reds in that trade deadline deal. He has had shoulder issues. So that's important as well, but they do have guys, speaking of the depth, in the minor leagues, when you talk about Bailey over, now he's had huge injury problems his whole minor league career. I don't think you can count on him to stay healthy. When he has been healthy, he's been very good in the minors and majors. Uh, but he's sitting there waiting at AAA. Simeon Woods Richardson is sitting waiting at AAA. Louis Varland, they was called up, gave up back-to-back homers, but then pitched a nice game at Yankee Stadium. So they've got some more depth. Balasavich. Yeah, Bel- Jordan Belazovic, who I, I love the guy. Uh, he had a rough year last year, ended it better, but he, he this is a huge year for him uh, to prove that he's he's capable of pitching in the big leagues. So, you know, you have Belazovic as well. But you have other guys like Ober, Woods Richardson, and Varland, who have already made their major league debuts and looked promising, especially Ober. Uh, he's had the most extended time. So you've got some depth. If you have the inevitable, you're not going to make it through a full season healthy in a starting rotation. You inevitably will have to dip into the minor leagues and both on the hitting and pitching side, it looks like they have more depth there than they've had in the past. So I, I like how this is materializing. Also, not the strongest division either, although Cleveland was the youngest team in baseball last year when they won it. So there's some there to keep it, there's someone to keep an eye on. White Sox already have the injury issues again that they've plagued them the past few years, but they've got a talented lineup, the Chicago White Sox. If they can figure out some pitching, they may be, they may, Dylan Cease is certainly among the best pitchers in baseball. So it could be another three-team race uh, this year. I don't think the Tigers or Royals are ready yet. Last, last uh, thoughts on the Twins? It's early, but, um, you know, certainly expectations so far. Yeah, it's been a fun start, and uh, hopefully it'll stay that way. All right, that was a jam-packed episode. Uh, Apologies to the Minnesota Wild, but we need to bring on a more elite hockey mind than us to discuss them, uh, which we will uh, if they advance in the playoffs. And I think they do have a shot of advancing. Uh, Kaprizov is back. Matt Boldy has been good. But that's about the extent of my my, uh, hockey knowledge. So we'll bring on someone smarter than us on that subject. Uh, coming up soon. So for Matt Galvan, I'm Marshall Kellner. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.